and you're on equal footing. Tonight's show is entitled Living in the Shadow of Greatness. Living in the Shadow of Greatness. It's about the complexities of growing up with an absent parent who may be revered by the outside world. It's such a contradiction. I resonate this with this topic in my own life, with my own parents. My dad is a social worker. My mom's a writer both of whom are seen in certain respects as social justice warriors. My mother writes on topics related to Jewish thought, mystical aspects of our theology. But at the same time, in some respects, and I hope I don't hurt my parents by saying this on air, I felt they were absent around important milestones in my life. I love them dearly. But we've dealt with that over the years. I think many people deal with this. We have many listeners whose parents are shluchim, missionary rabbis, for example, revered in their communities. Yet the question always arises, are they as present for us as children as they are for others in their search to impact the greater good? This is a difficult topic who is best addressed, I think, by someone that has done so in the public square beautifully, eloquently, through, through artistic expression, through film. The guest we have tonight, his name is David Holbrook. David's father, Richard Holbrook, was a giant in American diplomacy. Starting in the 1960s, his career in Vietnam, being part of the peace delegation in 1968 through his appointment as Assistant Secretary of State under President Jimmy Carter, subsequent appointment as Assistant Secretary of State under President Bill Clinton, was Ambassador to the United Nations for the United States, and most famously probably brokered peace in the Balkans, both in Bosnia and in Kosovo, when David's father, Richard Holbrook, passed away in 2010. He was special envoy uh, under uh, President Barack Obama for the crisis in, in Afghanistan. David has spoken about the relationship with his father through a critically acclaimed documentary in 2015 released by HBO Films called The Diplomat. I highly recommend watching this documentary, The Diplomat, about not only his father's life and legacy, but really a personal story of his relationship with his father and, in certain sense, his absence. David is a filmmaker. He's a cultural entrepreneur. He's the founder of Original Thinkers, which is a speakers and film and performance festival held each year in Telluride, Colorado. David was a TV news producer with the Today Show, CNN, and CBS News before moving into filmmaking. And after watching 9-11 happen, he believed that he needed to tell stories with more depth and purpose. In 2008, David Holbrook became the festival director of Telluride Mountain Film, inspiring and entertaining thousands of people each year with his innovative programming. David's first film which was the 2004 movie, The Time for a New, a Time for a New God, 
the monologue featuring Rabbi Irwin Kula at Coney Island talking about why these times call for a different God, or at least a different interpretation of God. Also highly recommended time for a new God. David lives in Telluride, Colorado, with his wife Sarah and three kids. And I know that David is an avid sportsman, a biker and a skier, because when he did a pregame call for this show, he was literally on his mountain bike. <laughs> I wish I could be there, David, with you and tell your eyes. We're doing this show this week from Denver, uh, not so far away. But thanks for joining us tonight, David. Oh, and, and next time, let's get, you, uh, let's get you here as well and, and on the bike. And, uh, I feel a little, a little sweaty from the ride, but I'm down and I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about all this. Thanks for the kind introduction. Yeah, I really appreciate you being so open tonight, David, on this sensitive subject. So many people, when, especially when a parent, loved one passes, tend to stay in a place of, um, I wouldn't say blind, but certainly uh, kind of a, a type of reverence that maybe doesn't allow us to fully embrace the complexities of um, the loved one who's, who's passed, and especially in the case of a parent that, that is especially challenged. And I think in a certain sense, you're acknowledging the complexities of your father's life and your relationship with him um, is a special form of, of honor and uh, a special form of recognition. And I just, honor you for doing that and i appreciate also the our other guest who's willing to dive in to this topic with you dive in with us rachel klachewski rachel's been in the program before rachel is a licensed master social worker and a relationship therapist she's based in new york so she's also on the phone with us tonight rachel's been featured on sirius xm uh, with her own show. She's had commentary pieces and a variety of published articles and advice columns, got a, a long bibliography. And while Rachel is primarily known as a sex therapist, she really specializes in relationships of all kinds, family relationships, and in fact has a strong focus on the area of, area of reparenting reparenting, we're going to talk about that tonight, and exploring all sorts of relationships through family dynamics. Rachel, thanks for joining us from New York tonight. I'm really happy to be here. So, David, I probably butchered the quick-form bio of your dad, and I was wondering if you could start by describing him in your own words, his, his greatness and perhaps his foibles, because I don't want to assume that all of our listeners know who Richard Holbrook was. Sure. He was one of those figures that a lot of people didn't, and a lot of people freaked out when they found out I was his son. Yeah, it was, and, and that was the nature of being a diplomat, I think, was that he lived, and particularly who he was, you know, as a diplomat, which was, uh, not your normal sort of staid and, and quiet and discreet character. He was much more in the form of Henry Kissinger of big and bold and brilliant and, and had a space in the public eye you don't often see. And that, that was, he was suited for it. He was born to it. He knew that he, that was what he had to do and, and for himself. You know, my uncle tells a funny story in the film about him, my father writing an autobiography when he was, I think, 16. And he said, well, uh, most people wait till they're famous. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to wait till I'm famous. I'm going to start writing it now. And he had this sense of himself as an historical figure quite early on. 
and and that I think shaped so much of his life, and and also became problematic for him, uh, partly as a parent, but also as a you know as a uh, you know he, the brass ring that he always wanted was to be Secretary of State, and and that always just eluded him. It was very close to it, and multiple times, and and so you know that was also part of you know part of success was also undermined him in his own way, like probably a lot of people who have huge ambitions and appetites and egos and and all of that. So your father was really a giant in in, in his in his time. Uh, he, you know, as, as I said in the outset, he passed in in late 2010. And in the outset of your film, The Diplomat, there are several uh, historical uh, and political figures who are talking about your dad's legacy. And I, I, I thought there was a, a couple of, of quotes that our audience uh, might like to hear to situate your father's role in, in, in history. Les Gelb, who was a, a senior advisor to various presidents, and he was the, the, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, when asked to encapsulate your father's life, uh, he said that he was the diplomatic hope for my generation, for his generation. Um, president Obama, in his eulogy for your father, uh, really um, talked about your father's need to always be in the arena. He said he belonged in in the arena in restoring America's um, role in the world, emphasis on, on human rights uh, as, a, as a peacemaker, um, et, et cetera. And in the film, there are so many uh, great figures of the recent past that, that uh, speak about the great impact that your father had in architecting the, the peace agreement uh, memorialized by the Dayton Accords in, in, in Bosnia uh, in, in, I believe it was 1994, um, subsequent peace uh, brokered in, in, in Kosovo and his efforts later in, in Afghanistan. President uh, Bill Clinton, President Obama, as I mentioned, uh, Kofi Annan, former, former Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, Hillary Clinton, et cetera. So there's no question that your father impacted um, the world in, in, in many positive ways. And yet, David, one of the, 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 the remarkable and I think in very creditable things about your film, The Diplomat, is that you were willing also to explore the, the more complicated side of your dad that you just, that you just referred to. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to kind of, um, stage that for you a bit and maybe you could talk about, um, he, what he was like as a father, not as a diplomat. And, and I'll, and I'll frame that by, uh, referring to um, an article a couple of years ago in the Washington Post, which I hope you don't mind me uh, referring no, to on air. But it was the article which, you know, got a lot of um, attention was called Richard Holbrook was a jerk and a talented diplomat, which matters more. And it was a review of George Packer's biography of, of your father um, sure. called Our Man, Richard Holbrook and the End of the American Century, in which there were all sorts of very um, piquant stories told, including one that had stuck in my mind uh, where your dad was interviewed uh, for the, I think it was a Secretary of State position under President Obama in his first term. And when he walked into the Oval Office, uh, the story goes that uh, – that President Obama referred to your, your father as as Dick Holbrook and, and kind of the the um, yeah. the familiar term and uh, and what did your dad say then and what was and is that reflective of his personality walk us through a little bit more of his personality as a as a as a 
Yeah, as, as a human being, as a, as a father. Uh, I think that particular uh, story speaks really to him as a, as a husband and as a, um, yeah, and, and what he, what basically happened was he, second day after Obama was elected, he calls, he sets an interview with my father and interviews him to be Secretary of State. My father walks in and, and Obama says to him, uh, Dick, great to meet you. My father says, Mr. President-elect, if it's okay with you, my wife would really prefer it if you called me Richard. And Obama, I think, paused and said, okay. okay. And then my father gushed uh, genuinely but overly effusively about the historical nature of being a black president. And Obama didn't want to hear that. And then they had an interview that lasted maybe half an hour, and and that was as far as that went. Um, And I think, you know, as a... As a parent, it doesn't really reflect him. As a, as someone who um, you know, was very devoted to his life in ways that were complicated as a parent, that was um, its own thing. But he just wanted. And the main thing, though, and and is just that. And I hear that story, tell that story, think about that story is is just how ham-handed it was. He was so adept and so smooth and so charming and so impressive. And yet this was just in a giant interview. He just stepped in it and then stepped in it again. And when he told Les Gelb, who you mentioned earlier, because Les was the first person he called when he came out of that interview because they were best friends, he, Les said, so how'd it go? And he said, here's what, I'm, here's what I said. And Les Gelb said, you didn't. You didn't say that, did you? You, you really didn't say that. And he said, yeah. And Les couldn't believe it. And that, that's in my film as well. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, and, and like I said earlier, the, the brilliance was often um, undercut in ways that were unfortunate, that, and that a lot of it had to do with his own. You know, uh, you know, we all make mistakes. That was that was a big one, and an unfortunate one because the the um, you know the it wasn't necessary. It was an unforced error. You know, one of the things that's interesting, and, and I vaguely remember that you know, Holbrook was a joke thing, and and. Yeah, the Packer book's fascinating, and, you know, I spent four years of my life, or as I used to joke, when people say how long was I had been working on the film, and I'd say, you know, 49 years if I was 49 years old, or whatever age I was, and it was a real you know, personal journey, and then to read a giant biography about him, um, and, you know, it was, which was remarkably reported and brilliant in its own, and, and highly well-reviewed and all that stuff. But I also thought it really missed a big part of my father, which I tried to convey in the film, which is how funny he could be. And I think that's when I hear that jerk, it's just as his son. And I know he could be difficult, and I know. But it was usually in some, for some reason, and might not have been a great reason, but, but he was also a hell of a lot of fun. And, and I said to George Packer, who wrote that book, I, I said to him after I read the book, I was like, look, uh, you know, you captured a lot, and there's a, you know, a lot that I learned, and, it's a powerful story, but I said I thought you really missed this big component of him that uh, would have served both the book and the character in ways that nothing else did. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, and, and of course George Packer, who wrote that that well-reviewed biography of your, of your father, was very clear that he was exhorting readers not to judge your father for for his sins, but rather to see see as best as at least that biographer could see the complex being of 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 your father and and David, before we go to the next break, and and I want to turn a little bit more towards 
the the concept of the absent parent who's also great, you know, revered by the outside world, and and see how common that is, Rachel, amongst, um, yeah, how common that is in, in, in the population amongst your clients. But, but before we go to that break, David, I was struck by the line near the beginning of your film where you 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 address very directly that your that your dad was in many respects an inattentive or absent father in, in, at least emotionally but you said that you in the only way for you to grieve his sudden death was to try to get to know him better in death than you did in life and that was just even when I say it now, it gives me it gives me chills. Do you feel like you've since his passing over ten years ago, do you feel like you've you've completed a healing journey? Um, where are you in that journey of, of kind of I don't know what a, how else to say, maybe patching things up with your dad or sure. going through the the healing process? Well, you know, I used to say I was doing Q and A's for the film, and it's appropriate here, which is these. You know, making the film uh, was its own sort of therapy. It was a lot more expensive than going to see somebody who I could talk to. And, and of course, I did some of that. But really, it was, it was its own journey into his life was fascinating to understand it. And it gave me a uh, an opportunity to see things go places to Afghanistan. And also, and, and I know Rachel talks about this a little bit of reparenting. I look forward to hearing what she has to say. But, but you know, doing stuff with my kids. You know, my my youngest younger daughter went to Vietnam with me and my older daughter went to Bosnia and Afghanistan with me, Afghanistan. And um you know, and our, our son had experiences around the film and we we all did and that was really gratifying and really uh made was important to me that that they were part of this and that they understood his story as well. And and so um, that was all part of it, and, and I know my producer, um, who's wonderful and 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 brilliant, and she said, "Yeah, we were friends." She's like, "Yeah, you're just doing this." She could tell um, that I was less angry, less, you know, uh, that that, and part of that was just time. You know, I think it takes a long, it takes a, at least a year before you begin to feel normal uh, after the loss mm-hmm. of a parent. But I, I, you know, with him. It was his ending was so dramatic and so quick and and front page news and you know it's in the film of of and I say to Hillary Clinton you know I really realize and it's true that I saw him on stage at the Kennedy Center with Obama Clinton Clinton Kofi Annan Jeff Leskeld, Samantha Power uh, all these luminaries and be like whoa you know, he, he was an historical figure and I don't think I'd seen him that way and so making that yeah. film. Help me close some of that gap because I think the distance between our lives and what he was doing was hard to connect when he was alive. And when I started making the film and really, you know, delved into to so many people, the accomplishments and, and really also the places, you know, going to Mekong Delta where he landed in May 31st, May 1st, 1963. Uh, and going, he landed in, in the Saigon, but going down to Mekong Delta where he was stationed not long thereafter and, and seeing this place was really meaningful and had real power in and of itself. We're talking with David Holbrook and his father, Richard Holbrook, who's a giant of American diplomacy. 
But what we're doing tonight is talking specifically about the complexity of growing up with a parent who's revered by the outside world, but perhaps absent in our own more personal world as a child, who's an inattentive parent perhaps, um, and how to make peace with that dichotomy. David, thanks for joining us. We're joined by Rachel Kluczewski, who is a licensed master social worker with a focus on this issue, these complex family dynamics and reparenting. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Equal Footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax. DocuVax is a very easy-to-use digital locker to store and access and evaluate your medical records. That's right, immunization records, lab results, x-rays, MRIs, etc. Your medical records do not belong to your insurance company. They don't even belong to your doctor. They certainly don't belong to the government. Get all your medical records in one place so you can easily get references to specialists without going through unnecessary appointments with general practitioners. DocuVax is very inexpensive, $6.99 per month, and you access all of your medical records from a HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. As a DocuVax subscriber, Medical professionals, doctors and nurses are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, blood tests, or anything else in your locker. You can easily sign up for DocuVax on the uh, App Store on your iPhone or Android device. Just go to DocuVax, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X, or go to DocuVax.com online, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. Your medical data on DocuVax is never accessible to anybody else unless you, as an individual subscriber, want to share it privately using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying if you or someone else is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or preventative screening. Take control of your medical file and sign up at DocuVax on your app store or docuvax.com. Also, if you mention you heard about docuvax on equal footing and you want to sponsor subscribers, either as a head of household or as a small business owner, you can get group discounts by calling 833-859-1933. That's for docuvax group discounts, 833-859-1933. All right, you're back on equal footing, and we're talking about what it's like to grow up with a parent who's considered great by the outside world. Maybe they're doing tikkun, they're a spiritual leader, or even just experiencing great achievements in a professional realm, but maybe they're not as present for you as a child as you needed growing up. How do you reconcile this dichotomy. Rachel, you deal with this uh, field of reparenting when you have these, what are sometimes referred as parent wounds, when you have an absent 
parent, uh, an absent father, you have a father wound. Talk to us a little bit about what those wounds are and the techniques for healing as an adult. Sure. Um, so first we all have wounds, right, from our childhood and from our parents. Our parents are products of their own environment, and as society has changed, you know, the needs that we had have changed as well, and the and the specifics of what parenting should be or could be have changed. Uh, we are recognizing that authoritative parenting or corporal punishment, which was once considered a standard, is actually very harmful. And so if you're a child who grew up being physically punished by your parents, you had developed coping mechanisms to try to avoid that kind of punishment. Now as an adult, you have to challenge those coping mechanisms and give yourself the healing that you really needed. Um, often when there is authoritative parenting or hitting involved in discipline, children don't seek out help from their parents because they worry that they're going to be perceived as having done something bad. So they don't really get the needs met, the emotional needs that they have. And it wasn't very long ago where that was a standard. So many of us as adults struggle with, you know, some harshness or, you know, not being seen or witnessed by our parents or just general generational struggles that would happen. And they happen in a variety of ways. Um, you know, there there are exceptions to every rule, but most of the time parents grew up and that's that's exactly it. Like we just do. And our children have to grow up and find their own healing, and that's a part of the process of growing up and holding yourself accountable. Um, reparenting so one of the, helps you understand. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah no, so one of the things that David addresses in the film that I really resonated with personally was this kind of difficulty, I guess, in, in, in reconciling or really being a part, I guess, let me put it this way, and David, tell me if I get this wrong, but kind of being a part of um, a parent's achievements that are being so lauded by those around them, but not really feeling mm-hmm. connected, not really knowing that side of the parent because there's there's an absence of the basic side of the parent, the, 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 just the, the, the role of um, being a nurturing um, an emotionally present being in, in our lives. And I resonated with that because, as I said at the outset of the show, the, you know, talking about my dad for a sec, I feel like I had, you know, as, as the author Jed, Jed Diamond has, a, there's a book out called My Distant Dad, and I felt like I had a distant dad. I knew that he was beloved by others. I knew that he was um, doing good in the world, in his case, uh, doing mm-hmm. social work in impoverished communities in Latin America, for example. And yet, um, I, I didn't feel connected in, in certain ways to him at, at, at times. He felt very distant. So is that, is that kind of at the, um, is distance itself, let me, let me, let me put it, make, maybe put it in an embarrassing way or is a way to try, try to be a little less self-conscious about it. Is, is that a wound? Is it, is, is it, is it, is that a form of abuse? Is it a, uh, is that something that it's that it's okay to be kind of hurt by, resentful about in our in, in our lives, or am, are we kind of overstretching mm-hmm. this point? So a couple of things. Your questions are excellent because it's really stepping on the nuance of what of what this is, right? If your father was an only parent, 
right, and you had no other care and he was working all the time and your basic needs are not being met, that would be a Child Protective Services phone call from a mandated reporter, right, that your home is not stable, that you don't have your meals. And the bar is pretty low um, because we really cannot dictate too much as far as parenting is concerned when it comes to the law. Um, so, as yeah, like, if you have a parent who's never really around, who doesn't communicate with you, who isn't there when you need support, that parent is absent. You could be fed, you could have all your needs met, you could have stability, but the parent is absent nonetheless. And the reason this hurts is because we want to be witnessed by the people who take care of us, by the people who bore us. Right? It's, it's the story that we're constantly seeing. We want that parental validation. And when there is a parent that isn't around or a parent who's doing such great things, how do you get that validation? Right? Like scoring a 90 on your spelling test is not exactly going to be impressive to the person who literally just brought peace to Bosnia. You know? So when you, when you scale it, the wound is really not having a parent who's witnessing you. And you can hold space for the experience of being angry, resentful, you know, and, and all of those feelings, all of those big feelings, as well as recognize with compassion who your parent was and what their calling was and that what they did was magnificent in the world. When we deny Right? When we deny those feelings that people like to call negative feelings, but I don't believe feelings are negative, right? That's where internal conflict lives. Right? It's okay to acknowledge something. You don't have to do something. You don't have to act on your resentment. Knowing that there is resentment, honoring that and acknowledging that you deserved better, you deserved more is completely okay. And that is not a rejection of your parents as much as recognizing that human beings are flawed and your parent was flawed as a parent. David, how, how do Rachel's comments resonate with you? Do, do you feel like your dad, for all of his achievements in the world, was, was an absent father? And if so, uh, how do you feel have, like saying that out loud? Does, do you, does that feel like dishonoring him? No, I mean the, the absence is real, and and but it was also you know some part of it was mitigated by the spectacularness of what we got to do together. You know, you played in the break a little bit of Willie Nelson's on the road again, and of course that reminded me from the film of of when my father was on the show with Willie Nelson, and it's very funny. But I'm, I'm sorry, it was on the Stephen Colbert show with Willie Nelson and this very funny bit that they did together and my brother, you know, was there and, and you know, hung out with Willie Nelson on the tour bus and all these fun things and there were opportunities that were such tentpole moments in my life. Meeting presidents, right. being in the Oval Office. And so that filled up a lot of space. It doesn't mean that Yeah, there's a great else. there's a great still shot at the beginning of the film with you and your dad with the Dalai Lama, for example. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There, there was a lot of that, and I think that uh, you know was part of it. The, 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 the part you talked about, Rachel, the notion of affirmation as its own thing, and and the real thing. You know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's 
you know, I was older when he did Bosnia, but, but what I was trying to achieve, um, was a different kind of thing. That being said, he, he was interested in it. He helped it. He tried to manifest it. I got my first job at NBC Sports purely because he had done some work with NBC Olympics and that started my television career and, and then my film career, et cetera. So th- th- there was that, but it was, um, it was, it was a, a tricky thing because I was never going to be doing what he was going to do. And I knew not to. You know, my, my brother dabbled a little bit. In international work and, and, and I think it was just such a big shadow and television was its own shadow. You know, the first I showed, and it's in the film, I was in the Today Show. I was working at the Today Show as the youngest producer and staff and then the first week of the show, my father was a guest on our air, which was funny and awkward and, and its own thing, but also, you know, it's what it was. I couldn't hide from it. And, and we're going to take we're going to need to take another break in a moment, David. But yeah, sure. I, I want to hit this this issue. First of all, let's give out the number because this is not just about uh, you know the, the very rare uh, case where you're the the child of of one of the greatest diplomats in the history of the United States. It's 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 anytime you're growing up and you feel emotional um, absence, and as, as Rachel was was talking about it's not it's not the you know to the to the degree of not having food and shelter not having your your your, your parent ever physically present but it's that emotional absence you, you all know what I'm talking about and yet um, the dissonance between that absence and the, that kind of parent wound if you will um, with with the, a parent who's doing wonderful things in the world uh, for the greater good you know social justice tikkun as we'd say in uh, in Jewish philosophy kind of the world world healing I think many of us understand that dichotomy. Tell us about your experience in this regard and any healing you've done, questions that you have with our guest, uh, David Holbrook, whose father was uh, Richard Holbrook, uh, rest in peace, a great American diplomat, Rachel Klachewski, who's on with us, who's a therapist and, uh, who specializes in family relationships, and we're going to talk about this reparenting concept when we come back. The number to call is 718 718- Three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's to be live on the air. You don't have to say your name if you're shy. That's seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. You can also text or WhatsApp in a comment or question to nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. That's to text or WhatsApp a comment or question to nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live 
or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. We're here with David David Holbrook and Rachel Klachewski. We're talking about the challenge of kind of living in the shadow of greatness, living with a parent doing great things, but perhaps not being a great parent. <laughs> Rachel, how do you start on the healing uh, journey that you have referred to as reparenting? What What is reparenting? Yeah, so reparenting is a healing process that allows a person, regardless of what age or what the circumstances are with their parents, to find healing within themselves. And there are a couple of ways where this is done. And one of the things that we do is we look at the current patterns that are existing in their lives. Uh, we see where there are relationship struggles and, you know, what's coming up for them. And when we take these vulnerable moments, you know, I ask them, what do you need right now? Like, what, what would, what would be the thing that you need to hear in this moment to feel soothed or seen or witnessed or, or whatever you're seeking in this moment? And often we can trace that pain back to something that they really needed when they were children and they had learned how to be so self-sufficient that instead of communicating their needs to the people that they need to communicate them to, they have learned to just hold on to it um, and, and keep it inward. Um, and so this is an ongoing process where we just kind of learn about what is what is needed to exist in this moment of pain, of vulnerability. Um, another thing that I really like to do for my clients who have children is acknowledge that they can make choices that are similar to their parents, the ones that they appreciated from their parents, but also to specifically do things differently that live within their value systems and provide that for their kids when their kids need them, when their kids need their witnessing, and understanding, again, that, like, we're never going to get this completely right. We never know because the world changes so quickly and so massively that what is good today is not going to be good tomorrow. Um, and so do children, right? They also change. So a, a lot of healing of, is of done when people are parents. Yeah. Rachel, a couple of listeners have commented on the way you described that a child wants to be witnessed by the the parent. And mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges, David, that that it, it seemed to me, and I may be projecting given my own personal life uh, with my parents, but it seemed like you didn't, you didn't, you weren't witnessed or didn't feel witnessed by your dad as you would have liked to. Am I, am I projecting? Was that part of your um, struggle? Uh, maybe in palm reflection at the time. Uh, that certainly was, was part of it. Uh, you know, his, his, you know, focus was elsewhere. And, you know, my brother says that he's like, oh, there are a lot of absent dads. A lot of them were absent at the bar. And my father wasn't. He was still absent. But, you know, it, it, I can make those trade-offs. And I'm not really sure I thought about it because I think there was just, you know, 
as I said to Diane Sawyer, I was just trying to muddle through. You know, and, and I think though that um there were times that it was like that for sure and, and I think in a way, um one of the things that was interesting about making the film was it was its another layer of, of of being seen in this funny space, the funny space of being yeah. you know, being on NPR, doing the daily show or going on morning show or shows like that and being like, Oh, here I am. Oh, I trying I to felt that I felt that very strong sorry for the interruption, David. I, I wanna honor you for uh for doing the film as someone who's who's dealt with this issue as in, as in my adult life and not feeling maybe as seen as I would have liked to. But parents, it, it, it was for you to do that film, and it was so courageous, and to, um, I was, you know, thinking and actually talking to our producer earlier today about the fact that it, we struggled with the title of the show tonight, calling it Living in the Shadow of Greatness, because in fact, what you're doing is great with the original thinkers um, program and your um, kind of I think in a certain way, carrying on your father's work, but through other modalities. And I, and, and I think that, I hope you don't mind me kind of um, interpreting it that way, David, but just from afar, it, see, it seems like that or it feels like that. And I think, Rachel, one of the challenges you've talked about is finding your own path when your, your parent has a path of their greatness and really being... Um, at peace with with finding a, a a different path of greatness, not not needing uh, often to follow in an absent parent's kind of footsteps, and it, and there's an inclination to want to do that, right? To want to kind of want to be seen and get that that approval, and often that can translate into torquing our own life mission to adjust to a parent's life mission. Um, is that is that something that you see, Rachel? And is that a, is that a is that do we need to kind of be aware of the of you know, the, I guess intergenerationally kind of escaping from maybe an absent parent's life structure and really being willing to, to find their own path completely outside of that structure. I mean, that is the story of becoming an adult, right? You know, our our parents share their values with us. Uh, they instill them in, in a variety of ways. Um, you know, all depends on their character and their background and all of that. And so much of our work as adults is determining what our values are and who we are as individuals in the context of how we grew up. So, you know, of course, when you have somebody who has such a powerful role and, and such a great path, it's very difficult to, to find a differentiation of your own identity um, and, and not you know, and not lean into the path that, that could be so easily available to you when it is not yours, right? It, it is not your expression. It is not your strength. It, it may not even be your value in that particular way. Um, so, yeah, having to find yourself when you could so easily, you know, take on or continue somebody's legacy is a, a very difficult struggle, but it's it's a struggle that so many people have, even with very different circumstances, due to just being David, an individual. David, I want to talk a little bit with what Rachel is touching on, and, and and look at it intergenerationally. I was fascinated in your film to learn that your your father's parents 
uh, were you know, left Nazi Germany in, in the 1930s. Um, and really, the, your both of your father's parents were Jewish, and let your, yet they 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 moved away from that that past, and they came to the United States. And then also, he, well, I'll get to the other point in the film where your father talked about the, about his dad, your your grandfather. Do, do you feel like your your father was in in some respects running from something? Uh, do you feel like he, you know, the lack of of attentiveness or intimacy with with you um, was somehow explained? I guess intergenerationally. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the you know his own parents, as you mentioned, really you know. We're fortunate, you know. And my my great grandfather, um, his mother's father, fought for the Kaiser in World War One on the Iron Cross, and then in 1932 he had a very successful furrier business, really, really successful one of you know internationally trading, including in Argentina where he ended up. In 1932, he read Mein Kampf and said, "We're out of here." And took his family to Argentina, and and my grandmother, uh, who never, my father never heard her speak a word of German, and and he had also, like we said, you know, his own, I wouldn't say his mind from his own Judaism, but he certainly wasn't running towards it, and it was also murky, but partly because his parents had designed it that way. My mother says in the film quite beautifully, and and thoughtfully, she says, you know, they had they had come to the new world. They want to be 20, 20th century Americans and believe the best way to do that was to leave all that, you know, European stuff behind. And so they wanted to be, and, and they, they did. They, you know, I think he was baptized either Lutheran or Episcopalian. That's weird. He was, you know, went to a Quaker school. And so he had no sense of his own background, but he was a student of history, so he must have. And he was too, you know, interested in himself as well to not know something. But he wasn't, you know, like I said, running towards his, his uh, faith and, and, I, and or his heritage or his culture or any of that. And, and I think my grandparents were in the same space. And, and my grandmother, when he was ambassador to Germany, he was the first Jewish ambassador, American ambassador to Germany. And that was a thing. And Muti, my grandmother, came back to Germany again, having never heard, my father never heard her speak a word of German. And all of a sudden, she's fluent, of course, and she's having tea with Chancellor Kohl's wife. And it was a thing, like a media thing. And, and Schindler's List premiered. Uh, he hosted the, mm. my father hosted the, the Berlin premiere of Schindler's List with Spielberg and the cast there, which was, of course, an epic moment. And he was epically suited for it. But again, it, was, it wasn't something that he had really spent time on her and, and that was another thing about my father and, and Rachel I'm sure you run into it with, with people is that he just didn't look internally a whole lot now, he was never going to meditate mm-hmm. he was you know and, and I don't know if he talked to therapists along the way and, and I but he, if he did he certainly never talked to me about it and I think he was just so outward facing that that inward story of where have I come from and what does that mean was not something that he really carefully embraced. But he also said, you know, and, and he had this picture of my great-grandfather in the pointy helmet in the very front of the ambassador's residence. So when you walked into it, you were greeted by this very striking image. And he said, if things had turned out differently, perhaps I would have been 
Germany's ambassador to the U.S. And, you know, so of course, David was just of it, but, it's, you know, that was him. There's a moment in the film where your father tears up. And to me, it was fascinating because throughout this story of the life of Richard Holbrook, the last thing I expected and I recommend everyone see the film. It's called The Diplomat. It's available on Amazon Prime Video or H- HBO Max and other platforms. It's called The Diplomat in 2015. It's a great film. You don't expect that to happen. And when it happens is, I think it's 1998. I think it's your father's acceptance speech to be U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under President Clinton. And he starts to tear up, and you can you can hear kind of sotto voce him turn to President Clinton and say, I don't normally talk about my father in public. And I'm wondering, your father struggled with being, you know, an absent father, doing great things in the outside world, but as we're talking about tonight, there's this also this dichotomy as well around, around how he was as a husband and a father. Do you think his father, your grandfather, was an absent father? Do you think this is a kind of an intergenerational wound? Uh, what was going on there when your dad was uh, kind of having an, an emotional moment there on the national stage? He was my my grandfather, um, who came from Poland, got his medical degree in the University of Bologna, went on to Paris, then came to New York where he met my grandmother. He was a brilliant, brilliant doctor. He invented Band-Aids. Um, but he never took any, you know, we, we did not become Johnson and Johnson, but he had like an early version of that. He was a doctor who had a lot of patients who were artists, including Osama Noguchi, and would, you know, help them out and they'd give him a piece of art. He, you know, was a painter himself, a brilliant, brilliant man, very driven. And, and my father, you know, he told my father he wanted him to win the Nobel Prize in physics, you know, quite early on. My father had felt a lot of pressure and, one of the great epic adventures with my own father was when we went to Yankee Stadium for game one of the Subway Series in 2000. And the reason we were there was the night before my father had been in Nightline talking about the first Subway Series since the 50s. And he was on with John Stewart and Spike Lee and told a story about how uh, when he, when the 1956 World Series was happening, the Subway Series, my father got a ticket, and his father told him he wasn't allowed to go because baseball was anti-intellectual. And so my <laughs> father missed Ron Marson's perfect game, which he would have been at if he had been able to go. So he tells that story. Steinbrenner gives him a ticket. We end up going. And it's a whole wonderful story that involves Tom Cruise and a bunch of other people. But, but really... Um, that was my grandfather. It was intense and driven and serious as hell. And and also, you know, I think an amazing man who I'd never met and in terms of absentee and, and that wound and that, you know, he died at, I think, 47, 49. And my father was 16. He died of colon cancer. And so, you know, in terms of absence, there yeah, was true and real. And, and yeah, it was liter- literally absent uh, for, 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 for a period of time. Yeah. And I don't think he ever, you know, my, my father, I don't think he was ever able to grapple with that in any real way. And, and so, you know, he never had anything to go with on how to be a father. And I think he still was, you know, he tried, but he, 
but in his own way, and it was imperfect, and and that's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. But but it certainly jumped generations, and it was also certainly clear to me. And Rachel's talked about this of, mm-hmm. of me saying to, to myself and to my wife and to my kids that I'm going to be different. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm into that. Rachel, before we hit our last break, how how often is this epigenetic? How often is this kind of passed down through generations, this this kind of absent uh, father or absent mother, absent parent wound? I mean, I, I can't give you direct statistics. I think that we have a completely different zeitgeist, I guess, when it comes to parenting. Um, you know, the, before the only ways for you to know how to be a parent was based on how your parents parented or what you saw around you in your community. Um, you know, as we modernized between books and research and movies and now blogs and Instagram and all of that, we have so much more data on how we can break cycles. And I think that the, especially like the, younger generation of parents, so we're talking millennials and, you know, the, the elder Gen Zers that are, are starting to be parents, they are tasked with breaking the cycle, and that is the power that they have right now. So it's very difficult to actually have those statistics because we don't really know yet uh, where, the, where it's going. But, you know, it was very common for a father to be absent. It was common. That was literally how the nuclear family was set up, right? Father goes exactly. forth, mother sits around. Yeah, it was standard. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was standard. So, and so plenty of people grew up without a, a father being present, being warm, and being affectionate. Uh, but, you know, I watched the documentary, and I saw that Richard Holbrook had some warmth in him, especially in that moment with David Rhodes where he starts crying about his kindness. And I just kind of felt a loss for you, David, in that in that scene. I felt a loss. Yeah, this is a the, the kindness for the listeners. This is a this is a journalist who um Richard Holbrook, yes. your 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 father, David, um was really saved saved the life of arguably um who, from the who Taliban. Was, um, yeah, well, I think that that was the second time that he was that, from, that, from that, that was the yes. second time. It was, it was when he was abducted yeah. by the Serbs. The first time that he he really the Bosnian Serbs, yeah. right? Uh, but that he got caught yeah. a second time, and my father was there to listen to him, and also behind was, was huge. And I think that, but but to your point, Rachel, and, and I think it's it's so um, balanced. But there was certainly transference involved in how he. Mm-hmm. Look at the people he worked with, and you know, yeah. uh, guys. Um, sorry, we're, we're, I'm gonna make who was not oh, sorry. Our, not sorry. Yeah, we're all not in studio, so I'm going to make the executive decision here to not do our last uh, breaks. So we can take a couple of. There's a callers and patiently waiting, and and also a couple of listener comments and questions. Let's see if we can get the caller sure. on who's been uh, waiting here. Are you on the air? Hello. Good evening. Hello, is this Dan? You got it. I'll make it quick because you're running out of time. I wish you had more time. Uh, you're missing something here. I mean, I can't believe they're missing it and they don't see it. Uh, let's talk about two dichotomies quickly. One of the greatest entertainers that ever lived was a man by the name of Bing Crosby. In your home, 
sang White Christmas, the greatest. Yet, yet, four of his sons, well, one was on drugs. He had no relationship with us. They beat them. He had no relationships with them. He was one of the worst parents, and it was a secret. Everyone knew it. But he uh, on TV, he was the great uncle and so forth. And the sons could could never attain any relationship or even try. One succeeded. The rest went as an alcohol and drugs. So it depends. Yeah. The parent seeks his own way at the sacrifice of the children. Not to say all so do what, that. So what, what, what's your point? What is the point? Well, the, the second one is, is this. Look at parenting today in this city, in this state, in this country. Not just that, but black parents. It is a failure. Children killing people, mugging people. Parenting in this country for the last five or ten years by the generations that have come is a failure. I'm sorry. Stan, I'm A total failure. I'm sorry. You see it every day. I'm not making it up. Okay, so... So Stan, I'm sorry. Let's, let's hear, let's hear. Rachel. Okay, sure, sure, sure. You can hang up on me now. Yeah. There, there are no statistics to support this point. And the only thing that I'm going to say is like, Bing Crosby being abusive to his children is, is only a testament to why parenting needed to change to begin with. We've accepted that as a norm and it is not a norm and we know that that's not okay. Um, and and we're building out of it, and that's part of why we reparent because you can have multiple feelings that sometimes feel conflicting toward your parents all in one space, and ultimately the only person that you can rely on for healing is yourself. Your parent may never change. If your parent is alive, your parent is not going to change, and you cannot hold your healing hostage on the on the Actually, possibility that they will. I love I love your 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 response, Rachel. And I also love that Stan made that point because um, one of the things, that, one of the reasons I wanted to do the program tonight was that was was taking the example of someone undeniably great in in what he did in the world and in in Tikkun, promoting world peace, Richard Holbrook, and yet his own son, you David, were you, you were able to hold space for the complexity and to um, and to try to get to you know heal. Uh, what he, you know, his failings as a parent, while also um, honoring his uh, his achievements uh, as a human being, and I think that 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 complexity um, is what life is about. And I, I I honor I honor your your work in that regard. And I hope I hope some listeners are able to get something out of this discussion as they also uh, traverse the, the the path of. Uh, reconciliation and holding space for 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 both being uh, both aspects being being true. David Holbrook, thank you for joining us. Uh, Rachel, thank you as always for shedding light on on these issues, um, and and hope to catch you next time. Hey, thank you, thank you. Rachel, what a pleasure. Similarly. Let me go.